I was contacted by the SWAT team today, and they asked if they're going to do a, they're doing a three-day training on June 9th, 10th, and 11th, which is a Sunday, Monday, and a Tuesday. Um, but they lost where they were going to train, and now they're up against the, the clock. And they asked if they could use our property, use our bus. What they want to do is put the bus out in the parking lot and act like somebody is taking hostages in the, in the bus and be able to go in. They wanted to come in and use the building again, go down to the range. Um, I think they're actually going to do night stuff too. That he, Dusty said that it would really be helpful if they had a restroom and stuff like that. Would anybody care if we, if we allowed them to do that? Well, here, 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 here's the deal. I was so excited about it, but that's that Monday, Wes and and Wes and Laura, Jeremy and Susan and Teresa and I are headed to California that morning. I'm like, because I really wanted to do it again. However, I want you to know that I have a mark right here that isn't going to go away. So it it's there. I heard, I told him about it the other day. He said, oh, yeah, that mark will be there the rest of your life. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you very much. So anyway, does anybody have any problems with that? I, I think it's great. I think, it's, you know, these guys need to be able to train, and they need to be able to train in different situations. And I told him, I said, we got 62 acres, you know, run all over it, have a good time, scare the neighbors. Know, stay off the sod. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll tell him tomorrow that um, they can do that. I and it benefits us. You know, if if there is ever a need, they. Pardon. Oh, I'll tell them that. That's a good idea. You can use this, but you got to be at the first responder Sunday. Yeah. I like that. I like. They're, I'm not. They they'll probably be down there or somewhere. I'm not sure. They're actually teaming up with Logan County SWAT team too. I just think it's great. You know, let some troublemaker come driving by and see the M rap sitting out here and and think. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that that's kind of like I saw, I, I posted, a, it just struck me funny yesterday. It showed this little guy, little kid, had his do-rag on and leaning up against the motorcycle and said that that teacher woman asked me the question, what comes after a sentence? And he said, I answered her, an appeal. <laughs> I, thought it was, I don't know why, it just really struck me funny yesterday, so I thought, yeah, I like that. So, for the teachers that are getting ready to give it up for the summer, all right, all right, so we're in Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 18, we have um, been in Paul's second missionary journey, and uh, that that started all the way back in 
chapter 16, and if you recall, whenever he uh, took off and started off in this second missionary journey, that he included Timothy in this one, and so Timothy was traveling with him, and and uh, um, and then if you recall, uh, he was uh, sleeping one night and had the vision, and uh, had the vision and uh, Macedonian vision, and and so they went into Macedonia, and it was there that uh, he came into the city of Philippi, and uh, Lydia was uh, one of the first to trust Christ as her Savior, then. We know that there was the possessed girl and uh, then the Philippian jailer that came along. And, and so there was a church established in Philippi. And then from Philippi, they moved on into uh, Thessalonica. And, um, and as Paul's pattern always was, he would go in and if there was a Jewish synagogue, first thing he'd do is go into the synagogue and meet up with the Jews and start debating with them and, and sharing the gospel and, and always stirring things up because there were people that would get saved. And so he'd go into these towns and that would be his practice and then he'd stir things up and change everything, the status quo and cause problems and then they would uh, seek him out and, and try to kill him. And, and there was, if you recall, it was the gang of, of uh, uh, that was... Uh, uh, came after him in in uh, uh, Thessalonica and and uh, oh where's the verse at uh, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort I love that 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 ought to be the name of a gang right certain lewd fellows of the baser sort so and they trying to kill him and and uh, then so he left there and he moved into Berea and anyone remember the uh, characteristic of Berea. Anyone remember anything about the Bereans? Yes. Searched the Word and searched the Scriptures daily, didn't they? And so then he uh, left Berea, and he came to the final leg of, of that second missionary journey, and he moved into Athens. And at Athens, he was uh, there, and he was uh, waiting and, and uh, saw the all of the idol worship that was going on and start, started witnessing to those that were there, and uh, the much of chapter 17 was dealing with the time that he was in Athens. And from Athens, then he moved into Corinth. And I, I find it interesting that uh, it was here in Corinth that uh, coming into to this city that was a very wealthy city and a seaport type of city and and uh, with that, a large population and uh, just a lot of lewdness in, in their behavior and, and uh, just was a, a, a pretty wicked area that he was going into. And, and we started looking at this and, and uh, have been in chapter 18 for a while, try to finish it up tonight. But it was here that he comes in and the first thing that God does is knit his heart with a couple of other believers, Priscilla and Aquila, and how important that is, and, and I'm sure the encouragement that was there, because we really don't see this until a little bit later on, but it, it's apparent that for some reason that Paul was dealing with some fear, and, and maybe questioning and some insecurities, and, and uh, uh, because it was in verse 9 that Paul 
uh, the, uh, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid. And that's a command telling him, Paul, you need to stop being afraid. But speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And, and then it tells us that he continued there for a year and six much, uh, months teaching the word of God. And, and uh, it was probably during this time that, and this is where we had, had ended up. And, and uh, we, we, uh, I, just, I find some encouraging things with this. We see the fruit of faithfulness in verses 4 through 11. And in this, you saw that we looked at this, but in verse 8, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So here he is really stirring up the, the Jewish traditions, and uh, the, the leader of the synagogue gets saved. And so, and obviously then, at that point, he gets booted out as the leader of the synagogue, and, and now he's a follower of Christ. He's not a follower of the Jewish traditions any longer, and, and not only he was saved, but many others were saved that it said that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. I, I was reading some historians, and, and it was said that some of the first century churches in, in some of these cities may have been upwards of 50,000 believers. I think that's amazing to me. And now I know it was different that uh, it wasn't the mega churches that we have today the, because of the persecution, because of the culture, that we know that there were these churches that would meet up in people's homes all throughout the city and all throughout the region. But uh, how amazing that is to think about how this really, the Christianity really was stirring things up. And Paul had a reputation that they were, these cities were looking for him, and, and some of these large cities were probably not as concerned about it as others, but, but when they heard Paul's name, I'm sure that there was someone that knew him and had heard and seen what God was doing with him and, and how that uh, so many people were uh, trusting Christ as their Savior. And, and so it's, it's just uh, amazing to watch. And then so in verses 7 through 8, we saw God's promised fruit that the salvation of Crispus and, and God's word will always do his work. And, and it's here that God promised his presence with, with Paul and, and uh, encouraging him in, in verse 10 and, and uh, showing us this. But then he goes on, and this is a part that I, I love too, and, and not that I look forward to this, but I'm afraid the day's coming. I don't the day is coming. I don't know if anyone has has been listening to what is in the the U.S. House of Representatives right now, but but they are they are introducing a bill and trying to get a bill that will stop it. It will be illegal for churches to preach against homosexuality. It, it's in our House of Representatives right now, and so the day is coming where we are going to be challenged on preaching the truth. And during this time, Paul was challenged by his life many times. Are you going to preach the truth or are you not? And, and, and here we know that, that um, and, and that's why God was promising his presence to Paul. And uh, it, it's an encouragement. And 
to, to see that, that Paul had feet of clay just like we do, and there were times where he was afraid of what was going on. And God told him, and uh, Paul, don't you worry, I'm with you, and, and things are going to be okay. And so then we get into verses 12 through 17, and we see a fierce persecution, and, and this fierce persecution is against all kinds of people when, when you look at this. And, and uh, look at this, and it says, and when Galileo was deputy of Achaia, so he was the governor of that area, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. They rose up, they rioted, and, and you, when you look at what went on back then, and you read the, the passages where, where Paul writes before he dies about uh, people are going to have an itching ear, and that, that they're going to heap upon themselves, uh, all, you know, all kinds of lasciviousness and wicked living, and, and they're, they're going to be full of knowledge, but have nothing in their heart, and, and any kind of wisdom towards God, and I mean, all of these things we can see that it is describing our country today. And, and we can see the challenges that are coming. And, and, and here you, you look at the insurrections and the rioting that, that is going on all, all over the country. And, and uh, that day is coming where they're going to rise up and they're going to riot against uh, those that are believers. And they already are in many places. And, and here they rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. The Bema seat. This was a place where they here are were their spiritual leaders, and it was here that they were going to judge him for uh, what he was teaching and what he was preaching. And and you know, as I read this and I gave thought to this, and even I I think of our judges today, and even good judges, good judges that are really truly trying to do the right thing and and make the right kind of decisions. They are limited upon their knowledge. They're, they're limited upon their abilities to discern what is going on and, and, and trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong and, and, and administering the justice and all of these things. But I praise the Lord that, that uh, there's no question with God and that, that he is going to uh, be the true judge. And remember, when we, when we give thought to the Bema seat, this is the, uh, the Bema seat of Christ is that seat where we will come to judgment. Not based upon our sins, though. It'll be based upon our works. Our sin was dealt with on Calvary, and I praise the Lord for that. But our works are going to be judged whether we are living for Christ or whether we're not. It seems like we're in a society now, and we're in a culture now, where, where, where people are willing to say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, and, and you say, well, good, and, but then the next thing is prove it. Prove it to those. I, I've read it over and over, and I just saw it again today, that if, if someone has no hearing, can, can they watch me and see that I'm a follower of Christ? Or if someone is blind, but they can they listen and be around me and understand that I'm a follower of Christ? There, there are too many churches today, and, and I, I don't know, I don't, it's a mentality too of, of where we can live and do whatever we want to and say that we're a born-again believer, that we are a follower of Christ, and, and there is nothing in our lives that are evident of us living or following Christ. And we do need to let people see our faith by our obedience to his word and, and know that one day our works will be judged. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, talks about the Bema seat and verses 10 through 15, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Here knowing that it's our works that are being judged. It's not our salvation. That's already been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. But our works one day will be judged. And we need to understand that that, uh, it is important that we are living in a way that is honoring to God. He also tells the Corinthians again over in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Then look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Oh, how we need to understand that, that uh, uh, praise the Lord for our entrance into heaven, and praise the Lord for the promise of salvation. Praise the Lord that we know that we have eternal life, but look, while we're here, we need to live for him, and, and we need to make him the priority. And we need to understand, Lord, how do you want me to live? What, it is, what is it that you want me to do? And, and what are the things that need to change in my life? And then you go into his word and you read it with an open heart and you read it with an open mind. And, and just like what we saw Sunday, sometimes the facts aren't scriptural and they're not what God wants. Sometimes it makes no sense at all in what God is wanting you to do in your life, but you need to obey him. You need to obey his word and live according to his word. And, and it truly, it just doesn't matter what, what the world says. And I heard, a, I, I read a, you know, a pastor was talking today on, on Facebook about the, this bill that, that they're debating and, and looking at. And, and, uh, you know, and, and he made the statement, he said, there's, going to be probably two choices for preachers if this comes down the road. You're either going to have to become a compromiser or a jailbird. And we, we need to determine in our hearts, in our minds, that we're going to stand by God's Word. And no compromise to God's Word. And, and that needs to be decided before that challenge ever comes in our lives. Well, here we see that Paul never changed the message. And there was a great insurrection, and they brought him forth in front of the judgment seat and saying, this fellow persuadeth men, he induces them, he incites them, he persuades them wrongly to worship God contrary to the law. 
And when Paul was, and, and so bringing him to the Roman court, and they're saying, look, he's breaking the law because the Roman court says that you cannot proselytize people. You're not able to do that. And, and so the Jews are bringing Paul in front of the, the judge and saying, look, he's breaking the Roman law in doing this, and, and he's also going against the Jewish law during this time. And, and so this fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, sometimes it's good even to hear that God shut Paul up too, the Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. If, if he was doing something that is against society, then I would listen to you. But if it be question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. So here... We see, we see some persecution going on, mild, but here he, he chases the Jews out and says, get them out of here. And we see Paul being persecuted by the Jews. But then I love this. Look at verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue. He's the guy that had taken Crispus's place, the chief ruler of the synagogue, in verse 8. Crispus had gotten saved. Well, now Sosthenes comes in. He's the new ruler of the synagogue, and they take him out, and they beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of these things. You know why I think it's, it's interesting? Is because you, now here we are. We're in Corinth, right? Wicked city. Now you go over to 1 Corinthians and read verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. <laughs> I love it. He got the crud beat out of him, and he thought, you know what? And nobody stood up for me. I mean, you can play all kinds of, of scenarios here. None of the Jews stood up and helped me out, and, and the wicked Romans beat the crud out of me. Maybe Paul has some truth to this, and somewhere he sat down with someone and said, hey, tell me about Jesus. And trust that Christ is the Savior. I, I don't know. I, I just love that. I read that and I thought, well, good. He needed a good beating to get his attention, right? So, and then we move on. And, and, and uh, so then it tells us that he moves from, from Corinth. It, you know, it's during Corinth in that year and a half, too, that, that um, a lot of times the, the Jews, it was a tradition. You know, Paul had been steeped in Jewish tradition for a long time, but it does seem that, to me anyway, there's question when he took this, but at some point in time while he was in Corinth, Paul took a Nazarite vow. And part of the Nazarite vow is that you don't cut your hair. And, and, but the Nazarite vow, it was common for them to, to take such a vow as an expression of gratitude or devotion whenever uh, uh, having been delivered from sickness or danger or some kind of calamity. And and it just seems, it makes sense to me that when, when he was having this fear and God said, Paul, I'm with you, all things are going to be okay, that some point in time about then, that because uh, I, I think a Nazarite vow was only like 18 months long or what, whatever, and so he would take that vow and uh, in thankfulness of what God had done, 
delivering his life during this time. Because then it says that, and Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had for he had a vow. So there we have. He cuts the hair, vow is over, but we also see Priscilla and Aquila had gone with him. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, Priscilla and Aquila, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Everywhere he went, there was a Jewish synagogue, he went in. First of all, obviously loved his nation, loved the people, and, and was doing everything he can to uh, uh, help the, the Jewish nation and telling them about Christ. And so he goes in uh, in Ephesus, and it's amazing when you read about the Ephesians, and, and uh, here it says that he comes in, he starts teaching them. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. You know, the church at Ephesus became one of the most powerful churches during the first century, and God used them greatly, and they were a very powerful church, and, and obviously had, had fallen in love with their Savior. Now, by the time John writes Revelation, some 40 years later, John is accusing them of uh, what Christ has said, you've lost your first love. But during this time, we see that, that they wanted to hear more, and, they, and, and that is a, a sign that we love our Savior, is a desire to hear from Him, and to read in His Word, and and it was that church where uh, the Apostle John pastored there for a while. Timothy later on pastored there too, but says that he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea, which is about 500 miles, so got on a ship and they headed straight uh, southeast and, and headed to Caesarea, and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. He came back to that home church where he obviously had been stationed there at Antioch, and he reported back to them, and this ends the, the second missionary journey that Paul took that we have recorded in the book of Acts. And, uh, you, you know, I, I just look at this and, and am reminded just constantly as we read the book of Acts and study this that we just need to continue to stay faithful, preaching and teaching God's Word. You know, we have, I, I get all kinds of advertisements about church growth uh, conferences and, you know, all these things that we need to be doing and how to market our church and all of that. You know what we need to do? We need to do what God has told us to do, preach the Word, teach the Word, love people as we should, sharing the gospel, edifying the believer, evangelizing lost, glorifying God, and what we're doing, and Christ will build the church. And we need to continue to trust him and look to him. Paul is a perfect example of what we ought to be doing. And so let's continue to reach our community for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for this missionary journey of Paul and such an encouragement to see you working in the hearts of people and knowing you still do the same thing today. We love you. Thank you for that. I pray that you use us greatly and mightily. And Father, we'll see your blessings upon our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.